You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of Special Reports on Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Coletti and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded at the 2016 Annual Florida Bar Convention. We are on location in Orlando, Florida at a beautiful place. We're actually currently sitting at the Hilton Orlando Bonnet Creek facility, which is somewhere between the Hilton and the Waldorf Astoria. So absolutely stunning place to be uh, attending a conference inside and cool out of the heat. Uh, we're here to cover this event for you, our listeners. And joining me now, I have uh, a returning guest. I have Mr. Dennis DeVlamming. Did I get your name correct? You did. All right, excellent. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excellent. So I, uh, I brought you on again because uh, you were uh, presenting at the same event you did last year, the Florida Law Update 2016 this time. And again, you were doing the criminal law update for the state. So welcome back. I understand we have a lot to talk about. So let's just open it up. But before we do that, uh, why don't you tell our audience, uh, remind them, uh, where do you work? What do you do? Okay. I've been a lawyer for 44 years. I've only practiced criminal law. I started my career as an assistant state attorney, opened up my law, uh, own law firm in 1975 and practiced in Clearwater, Florida, mainly in state court uh, criminal defense. Okay, excellent. So uh, we were doing a little pregame before we uh, uh, engaged in the interview. And so I guess probably the best place to start is what's new. So we've got some new cases that are coming out. They're gonna affect the law. We have some new legislation. Where do you wanna start? Um, why don't we start with uh, Hearst versus Florida? Uh, Hearst okay. versus Florida is a U.S. Supreme Court case that ruled that Florida's death penalty, as it is written, is unconstitutional. So it set aside the manner in which uh, juries decide whether a person is going to be sentenced to death. And what they basically said, without getting too technical, is that Florida juries made a recommendation to the judge that did the ultimate sentencing and they did not have to find aggravating factors beyond a reasonable doubt themselves, but uh, only made a recommendation, and a simple majority of seven was enough to do it. For the benefit of our, of our audience that may not be into the criminal law so much uh, in their practice, what, what are these aggravating? Give us an example of well, aggravating factors. An aggravated factor would be uh, if you killed a law enforcement officer, if your crime was uh, heinous, atrocious, and cruel, which means you tortured the victim before they were killed, if you were uh, on legal status, in other words, out of prison on parole or on probation when you committed a murder, these would be aggravators that the jury would be told about that had to make a, a finding. Okay, so some of them, I would imagine, are uh, judge discretion, some of them are jury discretion, and others are encapsulated in legislation as well? Uh, no, they're all in legislation. The aggravators okay. only have to do with what is in the statute for the jury to decide. The jury is told the ones that are applicable, not all are applicable in every murder case, and then it used to be that they then made that consideration and then made a recommendation to the judge, but they didn't have to find them to be present beyond a reasonable doubt. Okay, and so now that's changing in the Hearst case, so let's resume that discussion. Okay. Uh, what has happened in Hearst is as soon as the, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court made that decision, the Florida legislature decided to reenact the death penalty. They could have said, all right, it's unconstitutional, everybody gets life in prison, but they didn't take that position. It's uncertain now whether or not people who have already been sentenced to death and are already through the system are going to have new sentencing hearings. That has not been decided. The state doesn't want that. Obviously, the, the defendant wants that. So the legislature met and reenacted a new statute for the imposition of the death penalty. 
And they now made it, rather than a simple majority to recommend death, now at least 10 jurors out of 12 have to recommend death. And they also have to find aggravators to be present. The jury does beyond a reasonable doubt. Okay, okay, wow, that's uh, quite a development there. Um, interesting. So uh, also developed this year, there's some problems coming up in regards to minors that are serving uh, life sentences. Uh, you were discussing. So what's going on in that area? That's another big thing, really, uh, that's taken place is Miller versus Alabama came out of the U.S. Supreme Court. And what Miller said was that a juvenile who commits a non-homicide offense cannot be sentenced to life in prison. There has to be some chance for them to be able to be rehabilitated and to, and to uh, leave prison. They also said that juveniles that commit homicide offenses need to have a special hearing to determine whether a mandatory life sentence is appropriate or not, or whether they can be sentenced to life. And so what they're doing is, because the U.S. Supreme Court has decided that, is there now has to be resentencing on a myriad, hundreds if not thousands of juveniles who are doing a life sentence in Florida for a non-homicide offense or for a homicide offense where it was mandatory that they got life to determine whether or not a term of years, some hope that they would get out, would be more appropriate. So my guess is that uh, Florida's uh, judicial docket is much like other states, it's overworked. And this sounds like something that's just gonna clog up the system that's already, I guess, under heavy load. So uh, what is the discussion and cost and time that this is gonna take to do all of this? Well, you have to understand too, the, the people who were sentenced, the juveniles who were sentenced either recently or 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, they have no money by and large. So um, lawyers um, in the criminal defense bar have stepped forward. The Florida Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers has a committee, a pro bono committee, to be able to reach out to these people and say that they will give them that new sentencing hearing. They have to subpoena their records in prison to see what kind of prisoner they were, psychological uh, examinations and things. All of that costs money. These people don't have money. There will be a burden on the taxpayers, not only you know, to gather that information, but also there's going to be a number of, of sentencing hearings. And you're right, the courts are clogged. This is just gonna add to them. They're gonna have to find time to do it. The Supreme Court has mandated that. So is there, a, uh, is there a suggested order, for example, someone that went to prison as a minor three decades ago would get priority over someone that went to prison two decades ago? Is there a, a setup for priority on how they're gonna handle this? I'm not aware of any. It's okay. the people that are raising their hands saying, put me in the line. And it's also the lawyers that can get to them depending on where in the state they practice. Okay, well, we talked about uh, a little bit of uh, case development here. We talked about some of this, uh, you know, some of the issues uh, involving minors. Was there some legislative development uh, in, in terms of criminal law that happened this year that's gonna be affecting practitioners? Well, um, I think the biggest one is the manner in which the death penalty is gonna go, go forward. That's probably the largest one because lawyers are not sure. First of all, they're fighting saying, Nobody can be sentenced to death anymore. That's the position the defense has taken. There's a Florida statute that says that if the death penalty is declared to be unconstitutional, those that are awaiting death shall automatically be sentenced to life without parole. So the lawyer's taken a position, that's exactly what happened, therefore change it. And yet the uh, state has taken the position, no, we can uh, change the law and we can, um, you know, prospectively still sentence people to death. And those that have already been sentenced to death, where their appeals are already taken care of, they will be executed. 
Well, since you did uh, last year's updates, uh, you know, 2015, and now you're doing this year's updates, 2016, I think you're the perfect guy to ask this question. Uh, do you have future predictions uh, for stuff coming up in 2017? Well, the biggest prediction um, I have is yet to be determined, and that is Justice Scalia, as you know, died. Right. So he was a conservative member of the court, and uh, oftentimes there were 5-4 decisions. I mean, uh, oftentimes 5-4. Well, he's gone. So the question then becomes, when criminal law issues come before the United States Supreme Court, is there going to be a plurality, or is it going to be 4-4? Uh, you Interesting. Know, you know, so uh, does Trump get elected? Does Clinton get elected? That is going to be the most interesting thing for the criminal defense bar, and that is who puts on the court the next justice. Yeah, it sounds like a, a lot's ride down, not just in criminal, but uh, other aspects of law as well. Right. You know, it does. Uh, absolutely. And, and they're, they're almost predictable as to how they're going to vote. So consequently, um, we're kind of sitting back and waiting to find out, you know, who that ninth justice is, whether they're going to swing left or swing right. Well, Dennis, I have one more question for you. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about some of these updates and we've talked about predictions here. You know, for people listening to this right now that are relatively newcomers to Florida, Florida law, uh, they're uh, thinking about opening up a criminal law practice of some sort. Do you have some pointers for them that you'd like to share? Well, I'm an adjunct professor at Stetson Law School, so I have a, a student class. And I will answer that question as I do to them when they ask me. <laughs> Fair you know, enough. What, what, you know, what, what should I do? Uh, how do I get a leg up? How do I get started? And I tell them there's no secret. Uh, you have to do things that I'm doing right now. You have to get out. You have to uh, you know, publish if you, if you can, if you have a talent for doing that uh, in the area that you, that you like. You have to go to seminars. You have to uh, be on committees. You have to raise your hand. You have to move your way up. You have to, you know, kind of uh, get involved in your specialty and in your profession. You cannot sit back and wait for the phone to ring. It won't ring. You have to get out there, call a seasoned lawyer, offer him to lunch, buy him a, a $10 lunch, leave him your business card, say, listen, if you got any dregs, any cast-offs, I'll take them, do a good job, write him a letter and saying thank you for the referral, but you've got to be proactive in building a practice. I think that's great advice, and uh, thank you so much for sharing that, Dennis. So if our listeners wanted to reach out or have some follow-ups, uh, is there a way for them to reach you? They can email me if they want, and it's my name, and that's Dennis, D-E-N-I-S, at devlaming, spelled D-E-V-L-A-M-I-N-G.com. Fantastic. Well, this has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm Lawrence Coletti, signing off from Orlando. Until next time, thank you for listening. Okay, thanks, Lawrence. Thank you so much, Dennis. That was great. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.